So our Bible reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 13, um, and we're going to be focusing on 18 to 21, but we're going to read from verses 10 through to 21 this morning. And that is found on page 1046 in the church Bibles. A crippled woman healed on the Sabbath. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? Is it like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden? It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And this is God's word. These uh, past few days I've been privileged to represent the Presbyterian Church in Ireland at the Church of Ireland Synod meeting in Armagh. And there it was a joy to meet up with past acquaintances and hear stories of God at work in their situation, just like in our own south and north of this island. Stories of mustard seeds which have grown to become trees, and stories of yeast which has done its silent yet vital work leading to spiritual life and vitality. Stories of once defunct congregations which have now developed into places of vibrancy and hope. And that's precisely the sort of thing we read about here in Luke chapter 13, 10 to 21. Our gracious Lord, your word is often surprising, frequently countercultural, and even puzzling to our natural way of thinking. Will you grant us, therefore, please, your Holy Spirit, who is the one who leads us in understanding and holy living. And our prayer we offer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Reuben read to us, we saw that uh, Jesus has been in the synagogue teaching, and a woman is there who's been bent over and unable to stand up straight for 18 years. She's been crippled by a spirit. We see that in Luke 13, verse 11. What was it that caused her to be curved in upon herself? Physical or emotional or psychological trauma? 
Perhaps somebody had persistently damaged her verbally or spiritually when she was younger until her twisted up emotions communicated themselves to her body until she simply couldn't stand up straight. But even if that was the case, so what? Except we read in Luke 13 verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. Why in the face of so much trauma in the world, so much need elsewhere, would he care about this one bent-over little individual? And yet he does, deliberately. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Society didn't care about her. The ruler of the synagogue didn't care about her. The opponents of Jesus had more time for their cows and donkeys than this specific person. And yet, when Jesus saw this bent-over woman, he specifically called her forward in order to do for her something she couldn't do for herself, and he placed his hands upon her and healed her. Why would he do that? Well, the parable that Jesus told then in verses 18 to 21 answers that, or to be more accurate, the two little stories that Jesus tells here gives an insight into how Jesus views what he came to do. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to, he asks in verse 18. And again in verse 20, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? And the answer is not what we might anticipate. The response is not what we might expect. What I've come to do is to begin something that although it starts ridiculously small, yet it will grow into something incredibly huge. What I've come to do is to bring God's kingdom to earth, not with razzmatazz, not with boasting, not with fanfare or trumpets blaring, but with humility, quietness, and fragility. What could be smaller than a mustard seed? It is so small, it is hard to see. If placed on the palm of your hand, it is about the size of a pinprick. And yet one seed can grow into a tree as large that a person can climb up into it. And what could be so hidden as leaven? It is so insignificant when incorporated into a large amount of flour, yet amazingly, astonishingly, it grows. It bubbles up and it causes a loaf to rise and expand. You think that the healing of this bent over and crippled individual is inconsequential in the face of so many other huge problems and global issues? But have no doubts about this, says Jesus. What begins small can grow, and to develop into something quite beyond your wildest dreams. 35 years ago, I worked as a staff member of what was then UCCF, Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship in the Republic of Ireland. 
At that time, there was no Christian union in Maynooth University. Queen's University in Belfast, which had a large Christian union, sponsored a young David Couples to study theology there, and I visited him frequently. If you had asked us then what we expected might happen by 2018, neither of us, I've got to tell you, would have dreamt in our wildest moments that after being established for 10 years, a new Presbyterian church building would be about to be constructed there, close to the college and town centre. What started as small as a mustard seed, as an idea in some Belfast students' heads, has grown into a tree into which the birds of the air are able to perch in its branches. That's a wonderful analogy, by the way, and one which Jesus didn't just conjure up out of his head, but which he drew from reading the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 17 and 31, for example, it talks about the birds of the air nesting in the boughs of the cedar tree. (coughs) And in Daniel chapter 4, the servant of God gives uh, an interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in which his kingdom was likened to a large and strong tree having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. The release and the restoration of this one unknown woman in an unnamed synagogue in Palestine was in one way a very small triumph. But from that one tiny seed of victory would grow a tree far greater, far more majestic than Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Its ramifications would spread to the bounds of the universe until creation itself would one day, according to the book of Romans, be delivered from bondage and corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. At this time, the time in which this encounter took place, Christ's work was obscure. Very few in the world had yet heard of Jesus. But like leaven hidden in meal, the kingdom message would soon spread until there would be no place in heaven or hell or earth or sky that would not feel the force of his triumphant authority. Now, of course, we are in some sense privileged to have seen that coming about from one tiny insignificant start, 12 disciples, one of which Judas committed suicide, one who was killed almost immediately after the cross and resurrection. The apostle Peter took the gospel to Asia Minor. His brother Andrew became the first evangelist in southern Europe. Thomas founded the church in India. Matthew went to Italy. Philip shared the good news with an Ethiopian who took it to Africa before himself going to Athens. Simon and Jude went as far as Iraq with the message of the gospel and Bartholomew to Armenia. So by the end of a mere three centuries, over 30 million people claimed allegiance to the Christian tradition. And today, 
for all its weaknesses, Christianity is by far the world's largest religion with an estimated 2.2 billion adherents, 31% of the entire population of the earth. From one small start, this is nothing short of astonishing. Unless Christian people today swallow the world's lie that power lies in boasting or bluster or in strength, Luke chapter 13 reminds us it is not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. But none of this should really surprise us. Just as Jesus tells a story about a man who planted a mustard seed and a woman who took some yeast and placed it in her dough, so the story of the people of God began with one man, Abraham, called to start out in a journey of faith with one woman, Sarah, his wife. It continued with the Jewish people, Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, which tells us it wasn't because you were the most numerous of all nations of the earth that God committed himself to you and chose you. In fact, you were the least of the nations. Or, or King David, do you remember the youngest lads and the smallest clan? Or Bethlehem, where King David's greater son, Messiah, was to be born? Not in Athens, not in Rome, not in Jerusalem. Brought up in Nazareth. Get the picture? Or take us through to the end of times. And what does John the divine sitting, see sitting upon the throne with lightning flashing and the nations worshipping? A lamb. No, a little lamb. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? To a mustard seed. To a tiny insignificant piece of leaven. Well, what about application for us? Well, I've got three. Application number one. In today's world, when the secular press tends to either ignore or else diminish the Christian message, do not despair. The gospel today does not depend either on good headlines and public acclamation or popularity any more today than it did 2,000 years ago. The gospel may begin small, but nonetheless, quietly, because it is God who causes the seed to grow. It's not up to us, it's God. And while the kingdom may start insignificantly, under his guidance, it achieves far more silently than many other organizations or isms or trends will ever do brashly. Do not despair. God is the one who causes his kingdom to grow. And that's why the gospel doesn't depend on big or positive publicity for its success. Application number two. While the growth of the kingdom depends upon God, and undoubtedly it does, never underestimate one small deed of kindness or grace 
which God's people are called to participate in. Some of you know the story of the little boy who came down to the beach and saw it covered with starfish washed up by the tide. He went along the shore throwing in as many as he could back into the water. But what's the point, asked his mummy. You can't rescue them all. You're right, he replied. But I can rescue some. In another place, at another time, the Lord Jesus told another story about those God welcomed into the kingdom and their inheritance, those who had done for the least of the brothers the most simple and basic things, such as giving a hungry person something to eat, giving a thirsty person something to drink, giving a stranger somewhere to stay, giving a cold person something to wear, giving a sick person love and attention, and giving someone who's a prisoner a visit while in jail. Never, ever underestimate one tiny deed of kindness or grace done in Jesus' name. Because while it may seem small, in kingdom terms, it is worth beyond calculation. Do not despair. The gospel does not depend on how highly this world esteems it. God is the one who makes his kingdom grow. Never underestimate the value of one small deed of kindness or love done in Jesus' name. And then thirdly, do not let past inactivity prevent you from making a difference starting today. How old was the man who planted this seed in his garden? I don't know. Did he even live long enough to harvest the seeds from the mustard tree that he planted? At whatever age, whatever stage the farmer was at, he nonetheless did something tiny that eventually made a huge difference for generations to come. How old was the woman who took the yeast and mixed it into her bread? Did she herself like bread? Did she eat it herself? It hardly matters. It was one tiny thing that this woman did that nonetheless brought about exponential transformation. Did you know that when Christianity first came to the ancient Greek city of Sparta, the Spartans used to leave the sick and weak and vulnerable babies out in the open air for them to die of exposure. And it was the early Christians who rescued those babies and raised them up as their own. Did you know that the very first home for the blind was set up by a believing monk? And the first dispensary was established by a Christian businessman? The first hospitals were set up by Christians in the Roman Empire, transforming society's attitude towards the sick and disabled and dying by modeling a radically different outlook to the secular world. And since then, Christians have continued to be at the forefront of education and caring professions and science and medicine. You do know that it is the churches, by the way, who provide by far the greatest amount of provision for 
uh, youth work among young people in this country, by far. Do you ever hear that talked about? Do you ever hear governments saying, the churches are doing a great job? Do you ever hear the secular press saying, look what we are doing for our young people? No. It's silent. It's unsung. But it's vital for the welfare of human society. Incidentally, the other day, someone who had been treated by one of the doctors who belongs to this congregation asked Claire and me if by any chance he was a Christian. The answer is yes, of course. And that was perceived not through anything that he said, but by his very being. Well done. What people transformed by Christ do, whatever that may be, whether it is among the young or the elderly or the fragile or well, makes a huge impression. Do not let past inactivity prevent you from making even one small difference to another person, context or situation, starting today. Here in Luke chapter 13, one action in one synagogue, on one Sabbath, may have seemed tiny to the cynical, to the skeptical opponents of Jesus. It was insignificant and without importance. But to quote Professor Tom Wright, every time you break the satanic, satanic chains that have tied people up, another victory is won, which will go on having immeasurable immeasurable repercussions. Let's pray. And so in the quietness as the Holy Spirit, perhaps silently, without drama, without pomp, sows a seed within our hearts how Christ might want us to live or speak or act today, tomorrow, this coming week. Heavenly Father, will you enable us to do something in Christ's name that will make a difference for the kingdom to somebody? Leaving the results to you, our Heavenly Father. Perhaps to achieve something beyond our wildest dreams or imagining. O oh, our God, this we pray for Jesus' glory. Amen. And so we pray. As we're reminded how kingdom values are altogether different from secular society. So we pray for the church in its life and witness that we would not be mesmerized by glitz and glamour, but by the steady, silent, and honest work of Christ likeness. Here in this congregation, at work, at school, within this community, and throughout the world. 
We bring to you, Heavenly Father, our neighbours in Bloomfield Congregational Church. And after the trauma of the uh, attack there this past week, may they know the care and the prayers and practical support of neighbours who care. Thank you likewise for the opening of the new facility in St. Field Road Presbyterian Church after their arson attack last year. And bless you that out of the ashes has come real life. We pray for the traumatized and beleaguered Christian community in Indonesia after the three deadly bombings by IS against Christian churches this morning for the families of the 10 already dead, for the healthcare people looking after the dozens of people terribly injured, for the leaders of the Santa Maria Catholic Church, the leaders of the Indonesian Christian Church, and those who are involved in the Pentecostal Central Church that filled with the Holy Spirit, they as your people may be both strong and wise, knowing that you are God and your kingdom will come even in weakness, in fragility and in vulnerability. And finally, we bring to you people who weigh heavily upon our hearts, those who might ordinarily be with us but can't because of illness or fragility and ask that they would be conscious of our care and prayers. For those facing specific trials this week brought about by circumstances beyond their control, not of their own making. And ask that they may find in you encouragement and hope and even delight in serving you. Hear these and all our prayers in the name and for the sake of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.